Please be seated. Good evening to you. Psalm 119, on our journey through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them and get their attention. And they'll get a Bible into your hands tonight. And then you can listen to the Word of God, but also read along uh, on your own. And then the Word comes into the eye gate, it comes into the ear gate, has all the impact that God wants it to have upon your life. I'm so thankful for the local church. I'm glad I have a church to attend. And I just want to say thank you for the part that you play in that. So I'm the pastor, well I am, but this is my church. My home church, where I attend church, is not my church, it's God's church. I don't mean it that way at all. But just something to have a, a church family to come together, to worship together, to grow together. Wow. One of the great blessings of being a Christian. Sometimes we can sit and we can feel like, well, what difference am I making? You know, I'm not really doing anything. I'm not coming up here doing somersaults or a gymnastic routine or anything. And, and I just kind of come and I go and I worship the Lord and I live for Him and try and say hi to people as I'm here and all. That makes a big difference. Think about what we've just done in worshiping the Lord in song. I really believe in the prophetic power of worship. The impact that it has on other people, and I know the impact that it has on a non-Christian. They may not figure it all out. They may not understand it. It can even seem a little goofy to them at first, but there's nothing like it in the whole wide world. When God's people worship Him in spirit and in truth, there's a presence there. There's a power there that for a budget of $200 million in Hollywood, you cannot recreate because he inhabits our praises and because we are doing what we have been created to do. And that takes all of us to be a part of that. So thanks for being a part of this church family and all that you bring to it. Well, we begin in this... Psalm 119, this beautiful expression of the psalmist's heart, his love for the Word of God. And not only does he express his love for the Word of God, but he expresses all of these different reasons for why he loves the Word of God. And we love Psalm 119 because we recognize those whys. The Word of God has had that same impact upon our lives. We see, yes, I have felt that. Yes, the Word has done that in my life too. And there's just this wonderful thing that happens between us and God and the Holy Spirit as we read this psalm. Realize the same God that moved his heart to write this and all of these things. That's the same God that is working in my life and through my life. And so we've been broke this psalm up into the 22 sections that it is broken up in by virtue of uh, uh, each section beginning with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet and looking at each of these 22 sections and pulling just something out of each section to look at 
because the, the psalm is virtually inexhaustible related to the Word of God, but just to pull something out so that by the time, one thing out of each section, so the time we get to the end of it, we have at least 22 things that we look at and go, wow, look at what the Word of God brings into my life. What else in the world can do that? And so we come to verse 129 tonight. The psalmist writes, your testimonies, he writes to the Lord, are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Nobody puts me in a headlock to obey God's word. If, I, if, if, God, I ever, if God ever had to do that, it was only because of immaturity in my life early on in my walk. After a little while, we come to realize how beautiful the Word of God is, how beautiful a life unfolds by obeying the Word of God. And we realize that His testimonies are wonderful. That's the reason my soul keeps them. The entrance of your Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now that gives me hope. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant or glow favorably toward us and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes. He's weeping uncontrollably. Because men do not keep your law. Isn't that the truth? You watch what incredible pain people experience on a daily basis, so unnecessarily, because everything would change if they would give their life to the Lord and begin to obey the Word of God. The Bible says concerning the Word of God that His commandments are not burdensome. They're not difficult. The fact of the matter is they're liberating. And one of the heartbreaks of opened eyes, here we come in, we become Christians, and all of a sudden we see a world, we see things, we understand things, we see trouble afar off that the world doesn't even remotely see. They're completely blind to it. And there's the blessings of having opened eyes. Jesus opened the eyes of the physically blind and they saw. He opens up the eyes of the spiritually blind when we come to know him. And to look and to realize and looking at people and the terrible price that they're paying, the breakdowns mentally and emotionally, the damage that they're doing to their bodies, what they're doing to their memories, what they're doing to their lives, and to realize all of that is so unnecessary and could change instantly. They give their life to the Lord and begin to obey God's Word. And he wept over that over what was possible and how far people were living below the standard of God's Word and the life that God has for every single person. I'd like us to look at that last sentence in verse 130 for, one, for our meditation in this section tonight concerning the Word of God. It gives understanding to the simple. And so the Word of God, it gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. It makes the simple wise. Who are the simple? It can refer to those who are young and inexperienced in life. That's a simple person, and it 
their own way. It can refer to those who are untaught or they lack education or they lack life experience because of their background. That can be a simple person. And it can refer to those who lack what we call common sense. The fact of the matter is, in this world, not everyone and everything in life is equal. We've got a goofy experiment going on by our government, and they're not the only ones in the world trying to guarantee an equality of outcome. You can't do that. People are not equal on any levels. And in one age in human history, being smart or being excelling with your hands or in inventing or thinking about something in one age, one particular gift makes you a billionaire overnight, and then in the next age, that's no longer esteemed at all. And this particular thing about a person's life makes them millionaires and billionaires. It's just the way that it is. Nobody's intrinsically better than any other person. But none of us are equal, and none of us are the same. Not everyone in the world possesses the same intellectual capacity. Some score 1,500 on their SAT test. Others of us score 1,000. Others 800. Others of us score 400. Not everyone in the world can process complexity equally. We just can't. Some people can and other people cannot. I'll never forget <clears throat> taking Mr. Dinsmore chemistry class in the 11th grade. Everybody said, you've got to get Mr. Dinsmore. You've got to get Mr. Dinsmore. He's the best chemistry teacher in the whole school. You've got to get in his class. I did everything I could do short of and including a little cheating to get into his class. I've never been so lost in a class in my whole life. It was so bad. I had so little aptitude for chemistry. It was so boring to me, and it takes a lot to bore me. Sometimes I still have dreams. And I'm back in the 11th grade, and I am in his class desperately trying to pass it. Now, that's a terrible feeling. When I was in high school, too, you've got to take Mr. Demisio's Algebra 1 or Geometry class or Algebra 2, and he did calculus and trig and all of that, but I never got up into that. I didn't like math very well. But I wanted to make a point of saying I was a good student. I worked hard at everything in every class that I was in. I was not a slacker. Get Mr. Dinsmore. Get Mr. Dinsmore. He's got a beard. He's got long hair. He's really a good teacher. Okay, I got in there. <laughs> How could anyone be worse than Mr. Dinsmore in teaching this subject? It had nothing to do with my aptitude or my abilities, of course. And he was. He was a very, very good teacher. No nonsense. Knew his stuff inside and out. 
And he'd head into all these postulates. He'd head into all these theorems. He'd head into all of this thing and all that. And he'd begin to talk. And it'd be hot in the classroom. And he'd just be losing me. And there'd be other people in the room. He'd get done with that. And and they would head into those problems. And they would solve them just like a, a hot knife through butter instantly. I would go home. I'd take my book. I would stare at those things for hours, hoping for revelation. And I learned, I learned in high school that not everyone is gifted in the same way. Not everyone has the same aptitudes and the same skill. And I also learned that that was okay. Sometimes, you know, today they're knocking out the, um, you know, valedictorians. Or you can't have awards assemblies because these people are getting their awards and it's going to make the rest of us feel like dummies. That is such an insult to the people who are in the stands that are watching that kind of thing. And what in the world am I trying to protect them from? Real life? Anyone who's ever been on a field of athletics in any particular sport. You know everybody's different. I did everything I could to improve my vertical jump in basketball. I could still only jump three inches. Better than that, but not a lot better than that. And I never sat in an assembly and thought, boy, I'm just a no-good worm. What is this terrible? They're rubbing my nose in it all. I looked and I said, that person is smarter than me. That person did work harder than me. And it was its own lesson, and I'm glad that they didn't try to protect us from that in those days. Everything isn't equal. And, And not everyone has the same intellectual Capacities or any capacities being the same. Not everyone in the world has equal access to the same opportunities in life. I learned that in life too. Not everyone has access to the same quality education or the same quality of school. Not everyone has access to the same quality of home or the same quality of parenting. Not everyone gets to live in the same neighborhoods or in the best neighborhoods in life. Not everyone has the same exposure to life's experiences. Some people, kiddos go and they've already been to three internationally acclaimed museums familiar with the names of Rembrandt and others by the time they're five years old. Some of us are 30 years old before we walk into our first museum or 50 years old. Not all of us have the same opportunity or the same access in life to do the same things, to go on a vacation, to visit a dairy, to join scouting, these kind of things. And not everyone in life is the same age. Some of us are younger and some of us are older. One of the wonderful things about the Word of God is that it levels the playing field for every single person in this world. In one regard, it gives us all equal access to God's instruction and to His wisdom. And it gives us equal access to the quality of life 
the beauty and the joy of life that comes from just simply obeying His Word, no matter what our background is or our age is or our experience is or our scores on the SAT test might be. We all have equal access to the beauty and the majesty and the depth and the fullness of the Christian life, whatever our diversity. The genius, the simple, the educated, the uneducated, those who had godly parents, those who didn't have godly parents, young and old, everyone. Because of the Word of God, we know and we understand, the simple of us, simplest of us, understand what the greatest minds and the greatest thinkers and the greatest intellects who do not know or acknowledge God or believe in His Word do not know because we have tapped into the greatest source of wisdom in the universe and that is as good as the wisdom you can find, the best wisdom, that is God's wisdom. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. I believe that. I believed it the day I was born again. By the time I became a Christian, I was so unimpressed with myself. I was so unimpressed with mankind in, as a whole and became completely impressed with God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and I believe that more now than ever, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And this access of the simple into the beauty and the greatness of the life that God has for every single person. It begins with a faith in Christ which requires me declaring myself to be simple and in need of God's help. Jesus said about the simple, and all of us are simple spiritually before we come to know the Lord. Jesus said as he prayed to the Father before a miracle was performed, he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Sometimes people look down on the pedigree of the people that make up the body of Christ. Oh, they're just uneducated. Oh, they don't know anything. They don't have our life experience. They don't have our background. They don't have this. If they only knew in all of this and they look down their nose, the simplicity of the average person that makes up the body of Christ. I'll choose their company every minute of the day over the company of others. It's a beautiful thing when a person recognizes that in the grand scheme of things, and certainly in comparison to God, I am a very simple human being and I share the same core needs that everyone shares, and that is for forgiveness of my sin and a relationship with God and the wisdom to live a life that is a credit not only to the name of God, but a credit to my own name. Think about how many people you've known. Maybe you've got to be a little older to do it, but you think about how many people they've got all these 
degrees, and I'm not down on education at all, but you can have all these accomplishments, all of these degrees, all of these different things, and their life is a ruin, an absolute ruin. No one wants to be around them, the kind of person that they've made themselves of, and the importance of just needing to become simple in order to recognize the, the need for Jesus' wisdom, for the wisdom of, of God. And if I admit that I'm just a babe in comparison to God and His wisdom, trust in Christ, then God's revelation will come to me. This word gives understanding to the simple. It gives all of us the same access and opportunity in a life of knowing God and excelling in His kingdom. I praise the Lord for it. And then in verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your statutes, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your word. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is as an everlasting righteousness, and then I like this, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. We notice again, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. The Word of God provides us with truth. You say, well, that's stating the obvious. What can I say? It's a gift. But stop and think about for a moment. It is by the Word of God alone that we come to know the truth about the most important things in life. And without God's revelation, we would be completely in the dark. The truth about life, its purpose, its meaning, how it's to be lived... The truth about death, the truth about sin, the truth about salvation, the truth about hope, the truth about eternity, the truth about God, what he's like, about his love, about his concern for us. We would know nothing of all of those things apart from the truth of God's word. And then what kind of a life are we left with? Eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. We just would live like animals without God's Word and the truth that it reveals to us. And the only place that we can go for that, the the truth concerning those things, and, and much more than that, is the Word of God, the Bible. You think about, again, the darkness that we would live in without God's revelation through His Word. Life would be just exactly what... uh, Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, that life is empty and frustrating apart from God, knowing God and walking in obedience to His Word. Vanity and vexation of spirit. There are no two greater words that encapsulated my life before I came to know Christ than emptiness and frustration. I was as empty as a person could be and as frustrated 
as a result as a person could be. And that's the result of not knowing and taking seriously the revelation of God's Word and the truth that it speaks to us about the things that it uniquely is able to speak to us about. Jesus declared, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. In fact, somebody at Christmas time had it kind of uh, burned into a piece of wood and gave it to me as a gift. Did you give me a gift at Christmas time? Just kidding. <laughs> somebody liked that, and I'm glad you did. Totally joking. But they took that verse, wisdom is justified by her children, gave it to me as a gift, and I put it uh, in, uh, in my office. That woman is now on staff making $600,000 a year. <laughs> Here Matthew chapter 11, Jesus was speaking to a crowd that included the religious leaders of his day. And he said, to what shall I like in this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and saying to their companions, calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We mourned for you. You did not lament. For John came, speaking of John the Baptist, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus said, but wisdom is justified by her children. And he spoke that as a rebuke to religious leaders in their rejection of the message of both John the Baptist and of Jesus. And he speaks of a parable. And he speaks of the children being in the marketplace. And the marketplace in the ancient world would be the place that parents would go with their children in order to buy and to trade. And so they would go into the store. And this could be a fairly boring experience for children. So the children would go out into the courtyard or the open areas associated with the stores. There would be other children too. What are children going to do? They're going to make up a game. And so let's play this. And somebody comes up with the idea of let's play wedding. And let's all pretend we're at a wedding and you're the bride and you're the groom and you're the attendants and you're this and that and then we can play this. And he said, as that pitch was put out, a group of the kids said, no, we won't do that. We're more serious than that. All right, let's play funeral. You be the corpse and you be the mourning father and mother and the mourning brothers and sisters and the everything and we'll play the other end of the spectrum and, and we'll play that game for you. And the same group says, no, we don't want anything to do with that either. Doesn't interest us. And Jesus said, John the Baptist came and he came in kind of the funeral thing. He's eating honey, he's eating locusts, he's eating... Uh, uh, you know, clothing that's made out of the roughest materials. His message is just point blank. Um, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And the Jewish religious leaders didn't want anything to do with it. Jesus comes in a completely different way. But both of them sent by God. Not the same. One is a man and one is the God-man. But they were both sent by God. Jesus comes 
and he eats and he drinks with sinners. And yet they look at Jesus and they say, no, he's a friend of sinners and he's not serious about spiritual things and so we don't want to play that game either. And Jesus is letting them know they're like kids playing this other game and when kids play that game, they're revealing the fact that they don't want to play any other game than the game they want to play. And the religious leaders didn't want the religion of the Jews to become anything other than what they wanted it to be, even if God Almighty himself wanted it to be something different. There was no one God could send to them of personality, of background, coming from this angle or that angle. Nothing of the voice of God or his messengers would they accept. And so Jesus is rebuking them for it. Because they did not want to hear the message of John and they did not want to hear and accept the message of Jesus. And then Jesus spoke to them and he said, but wisdom is justified by her children. And basically told them, look at the kind of human being that your wisdom and that your man-made interpretation of the Word of God that your religion produces. And then look at the quality of human being that is produced who lives under my wisdom. Wisdom is justified by her children. by the kind of person that it produces. But I think that this message needs to be heard, and maybe it's why I love it, because I live in the same culture that you live in, where what is called wisdom, again, opened eyes and a clarity that God gives us, and we look at that and we say, how in the world can that be called wisdom? I always think of the Steely Dan song. It has a line in it. The things that pass from knowledge I can't understand. True wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the quality of the person that it produces. Wisdom is not wisdom just because it declares itself to be wisdom or it is voted most popular by the world and declared to be wisdom. Wisdom is not wisdom on the basis of decree. It is not wisdom simply because someone stands up and declares it to be wisdom, even the most powerful people in education or in politics or in wherever they come from. Wisdom, Jesus says, must earn the right to be called wisdom. And it must earn that right not in the isolated and insulated towers of academia, but it must earn the right in the nitty-gritty of daily life on planet Earth, in Modesto, in Ceres, in Ripon, in Denaire, in Keys, in Buenos Aires, in Russia, in Moscow, in Calcutta. Wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom because it can earn that right in any environment that it's practiced in. 
Wisdom is not true wisdom if it produces unholy people. You think about that. And what this passes for wisdom today. Wisdom is not true wisdom if it produces sin-enslaved people or covetous people or materialistic people or lust-filled people or sexually immoral people or self-destructive people or addicted people or superstitious people or hypocritical people or proud people or self-dominated people, or rebellious people, or angry people, or violent people, or hopeless people. Even if the whole wide world rises up and declares something to be wisdom that produces that kind of result in a human being, it isn't wisdom. And you look all around the world, across the whole broad diversity of mankind, at the quality of life that is produced in every single person that simply trusts in Christ, it begins to obey God's word. Look at the caliber of person that is produced. Whatever our skin color Whatever our background, whatever our interests or lack of interests or accomplishments or lack of accomplishments, you look at what is produced without exception. God's word earns the right to be called wisdom, and it earns it where we need it to be earned most in the nitty-gritty of daily life, and it will work for everyone. I've had the privilege of traveling all around the world. I don't know how many countries I've had the privilege of going to. Well over 20, and it's almost all of it kingdom-related. I pinched myself. I came to the Lord. When I, before I came to the Lord, here was my two big dreams. I mean, they weren't the biggest dreams, but they were goals where I'd look and say, what would I do if I... And my dream was, was number one, that I would be able to teach. I wanted to teach in public education. And number two, I wanted to travel. God said, all right, if you're up to it, I've got an idea for you. And I have the privilege, I pinch myself every week, the privilege of teaching the Word of God. Imagine. And then having the privilege of not just seeing the world in some secular way, though it's perfectly fine to tourism and all that stuff. I'm a big fan of all of that because as a kingdom person, all of life is teaching something. But to do it related to the kingdom of God. And I have seen what the word of God does and just the broadest diversity of human beings all around the world. And that's where the wisdom of God, God's word, earns the right to be called wisdom in a way that nothing else can even compare. What is called wisdom today is pure nonsense as it violates God's word, when it violates God's word, and it is worse than nonsense. It is destructive for people. Sometimes people are, are... uh, love apologetics, and I do like apologetics, and I'm not very good at it, and I, 
I say what's important to me in that vein. I'm not much of a defender of the Word of God. I mean, I know all of the reasons, the 66 books and the same message and the thread all the way through it, and I know all of those things. I forget them, but I know them, I knew them, and I could redo, think of all of those things. And I'm glad that God has called people into a strong apologetic ministry. Don't think that I'm discouraging that at all. But how it works for me and just the simplicity of how God has made me I'm glad for the witness of prophecy. I'm glad for the witness of all of these other things that are divine inspiration of the Scriptures. But the single most powerful witness to me is the kind of human being that is produced by the Word of God. That's the evidence that I love the most. Because that's the evidence that's personal in my own life. I have a slight sense of who and what I would have been apart from being able to live under God's wisdom and then the difference between the life that I now and I I know now and that I enjoy. And that's perhaps to me the strongest and maybe the most meaningful evidence for the divine inspiration of the Word of God is what it produces in terms of quality of life in every human being who obeys it. And it's a powerful witness because only God could know us so well. Only the Creator could know the creation that well. And I love that powerful, powerful witness to that fact The psalmist says again, verse 142, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Occasionally over the years, I've heard a variety of Christians kind of publicly pose a question and then answer the question, and they pose a question that's something like this. If there were no heaven after this life, If there were no afterlife after this life, would you still live the Christian life? And I tell you, I would live it and I would be thankful for the privilege of living it. If it only made a difference in this life, I know it makes all the difference in the world and the life to come. The privilege of being able to walk in light, to walk in truth and in purity and in freedom, to walk with an understanding of the meaning and the purpose of life, to walk in a personal relationship with God. I'd do it all over again in a minute if there were no heaven on the other side of this life. I can't tell you what you would say or what you would do related to that. But that's how much the truth of God's Word means to me And the gap that I know that exists between the life that I would be living if I were still alive, apart from God's Word, and the life that I enjoy on a daily basis, knowing His Word, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, growing in my obedience to His Word. And so praise the Lord for the privilege of living under God's wisdom instead of under man's wisdom or the world's wisdom or my own wisdom. And praise the Lord for the beautiful thing He has produced in our life because of His truth. I'm going to stop there tonight because 
in this vein of Psalm 119, this beautiful expression of the psalmist's um, love for the Word of God, I want to show you a video.